What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hey, you. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is sponsored by Made to Move Physical Therapy, and we believe that movement is medicine. If you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love, and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals, then go to madetomovept.com slash contact us. That two is the number two. Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get 10% off their first session. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston podcast. This is your host, Dr. Hannah Briel. On today's show, the Made to Move team talks about the topic of early sports specialization. Early sports specialization is defined as intense year-round training in a single sport. We've seen a few cases of this in the clinic recently, and so we dove into the research, the downfalls of it, and how it actually contributes to burnout injuries and may leave your athletic skills lacking as opposed to playing multiple sports. We also discuss youth, youth sports as a whole, the issues we see, the benefits, and what you could be doing better to optimize your child's health. We are also super excited for our girls' soccer strength camp led by Dr. Rachel at CrossFit Sacred Pine. This will start July 13th, and it will be two weekly strength sessions, Tuesdays, Thursdays at 6.45 for three weeks. As of right now, we have three spots left. Sign up at www.madetomovept.com slash girls-soccer-strength-2021. I will put that link in the show notes. Everyone, thank you for listening and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. It is the first Monday of the month. Happy July. It's actually June when we're recording this, but that's okay. We have the Made to Move team here today. We have Eve. What's up, everybody? Via Zoom again. We have Dave. I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to be. We have Rachel. What's up? And we have myself, Hannah. So today we are talking about where to find us in July, how to continue to stalk us, uh, what we're doing in July, what we're excited about, vacations coming up, things like that. Ooh. And then we're talking today about early sports specialization youth athletes, and of course, strength training, because we can't go an hour without talking about strength training. (laughs) Loaded. All right. So let's talk about um, July 1st. What do we have going on? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, Dr. Rachel's got the summer um, soccer (laughs) strength camp for girls or for ladies um, (laughs) up in Somerville starting July 13th. So we just had the, the information session on July or June 29th. 
Um, we've got 10 people getting ready to sign up and, and start that on July 13th. I think there's still three spots at the time of this recording. So, um, you know, check us out for that. And then what else? What, what else do we have in July? Um, so we've also got, I think it's on Monday the 12th. Mm -hmm. um, oh, actually, haircut. That's what we have. Haircut. Hannah has a haircut. Yeah, that's <laughs> very important. Yeah. No, this is slightly less important than yes. that. Um, so the Somerville chapter of Try It For Life, that's their second week of training. So they're going to run at Sacred Pine. I'm going to lead a warm-up, try to incorporate some strength training in that warm-up, something that they can keep doing all season. We're going to talk about self-care, how to manage stress, nutrition, sleep, especially because they're starting a new habit and just really what are a few things that they can change to really get the most out of their um, experience with Try It For Life. And that Try It For Life is uh, basically first-time triathlete for ladies, uh, like 35 to 45 in age. So these are ladies that are all tackling that triathlon for the first time ever, kind of establishing new goals and new lifestyles. So uh, Rachel's mm -hmm. going to help them out with that. We have July 4th, so that's a nice holiday. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. A couple people taking vacations. Ooh, yeah. Me. You. Um, I will be, I guess I'm, am I representing Made to Move at that's the CrossFit it. Games? Yes, yeah, that's, that's what we're calling it. Yeah, so we have a team from Charleston, Team Rhapsody. They made it to the Games. If you listen to this episode last month, it was right before their semifinal, and they made it, which Boom. is amazing. It yeah. is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll be going to watch them. I will... I'll just blow up Instagram. Yeah, sure. There. Yeah, That'll be sure. cool. And I'll wear all the worm tanks. Yes. Yeah, it'll yeah. be great. Man, I'm so jealous. Like, I have not been to a Games in 10 years. Have you I went, been to the Games? I went through the entire uh, Reebok sponsorship, 10 years of, of the Games, and never went. Um, yeah. yeah, no. I was wanting to, but it's just, you know, it's like life. Yeah. I didn't have any friends that were on teams in the Games. So. <laughs> well, and yeah. it's like the whole week. Like, individual, well, I guess individuals start Wednesday, and then they have a day off. Teams start Thursday, but it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, yeah. So they have to be there on Monday for registration, but it's a whole week. And from what I've heard from people that have gone is that it really is like a festival. Like it's mm -hmm. super fun. Like we went to Wadapalooza, Rachel and I, um, before COVID hit and it was really fun. Just a good atmosphere, like constantly watching. I mean, it's just like going and watching like a lot of Super Bowls over right. and over. Right. It's like the fair, but actually the like yes, the carnies are the ones working out. I love like it. you're eating deep fried Oreos while yeah. other people are working out. <laughs> yeah, and then in August, August seventh, Rachel has a workshop at Starboard. Yeah, yes. Starboard Cross about the overhead squat. Yes. Oh. I know we've all individually been working on our overhead squats. Oh yeah, because we oh we didn't yeah. mention we have the invitational. Oh yeah, I just put that down. Yeah, I was like we totally forgot about the thing <laughs> the training. <laughs> Sorry, Sacred Pine Invitational. We did not forget about you. We were saving you to the end. So July 17th, we will all be competing. Oh, buddy. Saturday. I know. So excited. Um, at the Sacred Pine Invitational, there will be a two rep max overhead squat. We will all PR our overhead squat. Oh, squats. heck yeah. Chance, for sure. Rachel's going to do all of the bench press. <laughs> no, we talked no about it. No, it's Dane. No, it's Dane. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So on the topic of... I think your soccer program, it seems like recently, and I, we talked about like it, it's because of summer, I've had a lot of youth athletes and having all those youth athletes made me realize that, I mean, I have nine-year-olds, 13-year-olds who are playing the same sport 
four to five hours mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to talk about and just discuss like our thoughts on that, at what point we think specialization is a good or a bad thing, and what kids should maybe be doing so that that goes better, um, and just like youth athlete development yeah. as a whole. And you're not alone. Kayla, Dr. Kayla mm -hmm. has seen two youth um, individuals. And yeah. Rachel, I know you've seen several here recently yeah. too. So it's, it's not just... It's going uh, around. Anna. Yeah. It's, it's going around. It's a, it's a pandemic. Um, <laughs> too soon. Yeah. <laughs> so let me... So first I'll talk about maybe what I've seen. So I am seeing a teenage girl who has been playing soccer for, I don't know, her whole life. Like loves soccer and only plays soccer, has only ever played soccer. And at one point, a few months ago, was on three different teams to the point where she couldn't go to all of her practices because she was on so many different teams. And now it's kind of gotten a little more um, chill in the summer, but she still like goes to soccer practice, has a little bit of a break, goes to another practice, has games on the weekends. And like one coach is trying to give her a training plan and her rest day happens to be when she has a game for futsal, like, mm -hmm. and so she's run into a couple of injuries. Um, and really it's just brings up like, are we overtraining? Um, because there's not a lot of strength training. It's all like body weight and it's all practice. And yeah. it's not, it's not like you have a, a lifting coach and a running coach and a development coach. It's like, we're just playing soccer. We're just practicing soccer here. And I think that's super common here and probably maybe youth sports as a whole, but I think in Charleston, it seems to be um, very prevalent. It's like we have to put our kids in sports and we have to put them to where they're playing the same sport every single day. And I think there's also a lot of research that early sports specialization has poor outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> why are we doing this to our kids? It's like the child sports version of the rat race i was talking to oh, wow. a dad and he, he genuinely you know meant this but he was saying his son is i think his son is eight his son has played hockey for four years and he was like if someone an eight-year-old came in now and tried to play on the team that his son plays on he's like they couldn't start now and to me i'm thinking eight years old you should be able to start something new but maybe that team that level you have to rise up through the ranks so to speak so to me, I was like, wow, that's crazy to me that you could have almost aged out of a certain skill or team at eight years old. So I think there's a lot of pressure that parents feel. I want the best for my kid. Mm -hmm. I got to get them early. We have to prioritize the sport. So I think a lot of it is ultimately comes down to comparison of, well, I want the best for my kid. I don't think it comes from a bad place. But like, what is the best for your kid? Exactly. Ultimately, I don't know that that's fulfilling the intended goal. There, you there's not a thousand things that you could have just broken down. Yeah. Like for me, like what we got to talk about is like, why are people specializing in the first place? Like, why, why do you think they're motivated to specialize in one sport, whether it's soccer, whether it's baseball, like, what do you think the goal is? They want to play in college and they also want to go pro. Like I have nine-year-olds who are like, I want to be an Olympic gymnast. Yeah. Well, it's marketing too. I mean, I just was looking up real quick Google like statistics and 
2019, it's a $20 billion industry youth sports is like you start to rival that with all these other things in the economy. And like, that's a massive undertaking to where the people, the business people within the organizations and everywhere up and down the stream, you think of hotels, you think of venues, everything. They want people in the buildings or on the fields or in the hotels every day of every week. So they're, they're structuring it that way because they know parents will pay too. So it's also, uh, uh, you know, these ideas, these are being forced upon people also. So I think it's just a, you know, cutting through the noise, like a lot of the other stuff that we have to try to navigate. How do we, how do we educate people? How do we, you know, cut through all the other noise that they're hearing? And, you know, it's, it's a very uh, large task to take on. Well, it's an industry. Right. And like, what's, what's best for your kid and also like the motivating factor. I think the motivating factor, it starts with, I want to have fun. Like I don't think any four year old starts playing soccer because he or she wants to play in college and high school and pros. Like mm -hmm. they're doing things to have fun. And also I think there's a lot of valuable character, like mentally and physically development in playing a sport. Definitely. But then I think it's that like elementary middle school age where they're only playing that sport and they're not doing anything else because they think you have to only play that sport to get better at that sport. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Kayla and she was saying there's some schools now that won't even recruit you if you're not a multi-sport athlete. Mm -hmm. And there, I was reading an article and it said, like, is this correlation or is this causation? The better athletes are going to be recruited by multiple sports or are the better athletes better because they're playing multiple sports? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's so hard to pinpoint, but I mean, there have been all of those, you know, like, like I guess data mining, but like you mm -hmm. look at the NFL combine and the people that are getting drafted in the draft class and like, you know, out of the 300 or however many are drafted every year, you know, 70% of them are multi-sport athletes or you know, and that's broken down across, if you look at basketball, even if you look at baseball, how many quarterbacks are drafted as pitchers also, um, you know, it's quite a few. And then the same is true of basketball. A lot of basketball players, vice versa, maybe played receiver or something like that on a football team. So um, I think soccer is one area. And I think it's maybe because of how prevalent it is around the world where maybe there's fewer options. And Eve, you might know more about this and, and Rachel, you too, but like, it seems like soccer seems to be a very, very much ongoing year round yeah. mm -hmm. kind of because maybe something it doesn't translate or whatever. I don't know, but it seems like football players have coaches that are always telling you, A, you don't play football year round. Mm -hmm. B, the coach is always going to say, get in the weight room, do track and field, mm -hmm. like whatever's going to make you faster and a better football athlete. Yeah, that's, that's the development of the sport. Like soccer is just such a new sport in America, you know, and like everyone does a really good job of load management when it comes to football, baseball, basketball, because there's just so much more, um, I guess, professionals in the area, just more people talking about it and trying to get better at it, right? Like think of pitch counts for, um, you know, baseball pitchers. Like that stuff doesn't exist in soccer, at least not yet. If you go to Europe and you go to the professionals, they'll, they'll literally track the mileage run and stop people from practicing once they hit their certain mileage that they've done in a week. So it exists. I think it just doesn't exist at a high level, you know, here. Uh, I think in the Southeast is a big part of it too. Maybe in other parts of the country, it might be a little bit more, um, prevalent. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? Like 
early sports specialization, at least my theory, is that because it's just repetitions of the same movement over and over and over and over and over again, and there's no various movements. I played a bunch of sports as a kid, not formally, but I played baseball, football, like in my neighborhood, you know, and I think, I'm not going to go down this tangent, but I think it's also because the only really play that a lot of these kids are getting are these organized team sports, right? And that is motivated by money a lot too. Yeah. I just looked at a statistic and it looks like it's done every year. So, you know, forgive me for if this isn't right, but um, looking at this last draft in 2020, anyway, uh, 217 out of 255 NFL players drafted were, were 85% of them were um, yeah, multi-sport huge. athletes, right? And that's, that's within that demographic of, of whatever. And it breaks it down even further, track and field, basketball, baseball, um, only 7% of football players, or only 3% of those drafted played soccer. Only mm-hmm. 3% of football players played soccer. Yeah. But track and field, 56% of the, of the people drafted did some form of track and field, which, you know, just, again, I think it's amazing to kind of see that. Um, At the end of the day, I think you, you specialize in a sport because you're trying to get better at it, but only doing that sport has poor outcomes. And and so it's like, if you're trying, I think, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, I think we should be a little more honest with these kids. Like everyone wants to be a pro athlete. Everyone wants to play in college. I think those are great goals to have, but um, 0.01% of you are going to be pro athletes. Are you going to have your whole life controlled? Like playing pro baseball is like almost impossible. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's more impossible than any other sports. I'm not like the biggest sports statistic gal, (laughs) but you, you go to meet these parents and you go to meet these kids and they're all like, we want, we want little Sammy to get a scholarship and we want blah, blah, blah. But like, is, are you like, at what cost? Yeah. I mean, financially and also like, you know, mentally too, there was another um, athlete that I, saw that played she did play lacrosse and hockey um and we were talking to her about she wants to separate herself she wants to be the best what is she not doing that she needs to be doing okay strength training but they have spent so much money on club and travel they don't want to spend more money to teach her kid how to strength train and i don't know how that's not being talked about in these in these clubs and it's like I feel like, especially in Charleston, it seems like these clubs are like, like prestigious. Is that the word? They're, prestigious. Yeah. Is that the word? I don't know. They're like they're expensive. There's some that are more expensive than others. It's a it's a huge commitment. They're traveling all the time, and I'm like, oh, can you can you help them with all the things they need to be doing for longevity and also for enjoyment? Because if a nine year old isn't having fun, then like, what's the freaking point? Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Rachel, go ahead. A lot of the things that they actually want, they're not doing the things that will help them get there. So if you legitimately put all of your eggs in one basket of this kid wants to play pro, then they need to be lifting weights, right? That is, we know that. There's so much research that shows that can improve their performance, reduce risk of injury. So if that is the main goal, then they're not necessarily even doing the things to get towards that goal. And that's not even addressing the fact that is that a good goal? Is that a realistic goal? 
I think there's kind of, a, it's like a double-edged sword. Not only are you setting what may be a very poor goal, the things that you're doing are not even a good way to get to that goal. So you're essentially setting yourself up for failure. And like we work with a lot of people, like triathletes, it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. Like someone comes in and they want to do another Ironman in two years, right? They're not coming in to get better at squatting or to get better at a rear foot elevated split squat, but <laughs> they, some of these things they need to do to get where they want to go. So some of this is just like, you have to pay your dues. Like everybody has to lift weights. It doesn't make, I'm not going to turn you into a weightlifter unless you want to be then that would be awesome. But that's not your goal. So that's not my goal, but you, there's some things that you just have to do. And like this track, like someone coming in who wants to do an Ironman, I'm not going to tell them, okay, well you have to go play tennis. You have to go do this. Like there are some things that I think are foundational and essential that every athlete should be doing. It's to me, that's just like paying your dues. You want to show off, you want to do this sport, you want to push yourself, you have to build a solid foundation. If you don't have that solid foundation and you're just playing at the top of this pyramid that you haven't even built a base of, you're going to fall off. So Mm -hmm. I I just don't even see that as a good plan, and I think it's a poor goal. So it's kind of, to me, there's so many layers of failure. It comes down to what we'd always talk about, which is like the educational and empowerment piece, right? Like it's educating the athletes, but youth athletes, it's educating the parents. And, and I'll tell you right now, from firsthand experience, I know it's the parents driving a lot of this a lot of times because they're living potentially vicariously through their kids. They want their kid to be, you know, the top dog, you know, in the system. And then by association, that kid starts identifying, you know, that sport and them being good at that sport as their identity, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, you're, you're setting them up for a lot of failure because if they just, you know, a, that becomes our identity, there's a whole issue with that. And then B, all they think is I just need to keep doing this one thing over and over again and get better at it. I don't need to worry about anything else. Like we all know that that's not right. a realistic expectation long-term that's going to lead to injury because you've got to have load management. You've got to be able to weight train. You've got to be able to have an off season for some of these things to be a healthy athlete and healthy human being the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. I think it's great that you said the, the identity piece, mm-hmm. like listening back to Chris Bergman's podcast, what, maybe a month ago or so by the time this airs, um, he talked a lot about that and how, you know, even when you're a pro player, but it doesn't matter if you're a pro player or if you're a youth athlete, you are developing an identity within that mm-hmm. role. And if that role is taken away from you, it is traumatic, like especially to a youth athlete. If, you, if you've been playing soccer for 10 years and now you're a freshman, maybe you're the only freshman on the varsity team and all of a sudden you're injured, you just gave up to what you is probably the most prestigious thing you've ever done. You, you were a freshman on the varsity team, which meant you had a place at the table. And now that place at the table is gone because of injury, you know, and that's, that's a man, that's a major thing from a, you know, an identity standpoint. And then we talk about burnout. Yeah. Right. And these kids end up not wanting to go to their sport. They have high stress and high anxiety of thinking about going to practice because their identity and their self-worth is in their performance. And there's any time it's your self-worth is in your performance at one thing, like, anytime you, you fail or you don't do as great as you wanted to, like there goes your self-worth. And when you specialize a kid so early on where their, their life is soccer, their life is gymnastics. I think gymnastics is also a really big one. Um, and it's like, it's the nature of the sport 
it, it's sports in general. It's not just like, I think lifting is a little different because like, if I want to get better at back squats, yes, there are other things I need to be doing, but I also do need to be doing a lot of back squats. If I want to get better at running, if I want to get better at soccer, at basketball, at tennis, you have to take out all of the components from those sports and get better at those individually. It's like, I, I tried to explain to this girl, but I don't think she had ever painted a room before, but I've said this analogy before. Like when you paint a room, painting is actually like 25% of the process. The rest of it is getting the paint. She mentioned that you have to go to Lowe's, you have to get the paint, the paintbrush, taking all the stuff off the walls, moving all the furniture out, putting the paint on the walls. Okay. And then you paint, and then you have to put everything back. And the playing soccer is like 25% of getting better at soccer. That's when you get to like express your skills. Mm -hmm. Like I think I kind of view that as like the Saturday workout at the gym or like the Metcon, but you don't get better at all of the things in Metcons. Like you don't get fully prepared for that sweaty Saturday workout by only doing that sweaty Saturday workout. You have to pull out your weaknesses from there. And I understand like you feel like more is better. Okay. If, if this much is good and I get better that way, well then I just need more. I need more. I need more. And it's obviously not true. Like there's just a point of diminishing right. returns there and not just diminishing returns, but you're actually, what is the saying? Like you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's huge. Yeah. And I think that stress and pressure aspect, like we talked about, I think so much of it is that identity piece, right? It's not, Oh, I do gymnastics. It's I am a gymnast. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very hard. And if there's an injury or life changes that take that away, like, these youth athletes are essentially like grieving a loss of their identity. And that's very hard to come back from. And we, cause I even, I told uh, Hannah this before, but whenever I spoke to, I think it was a U 13 girls soccer team. We always talk about stress. And for a second I paused and I was like, do I, do I need to talk about that? They're so young. And I was like, absolutely. I need to talk about that. And so I even just kind of brushed over like some of the basics of, Hey, I know there can be pressure. You feel responsibility, like talked about important of communication. Like if you're hurting, you need to tell your coach, you need to talk to your parents. That's so important. And talk about just some things for stress management and multiple of these girls came up to me and they were like, Hey, like, can you tell me some strategies to help with stress? And I immediately went to like soccer because I thought they meant like on the field and they're like, no, no, no. Like they mean life. They're like, what do you do when you're feeling stressed in your life? Scream into a pillow? No. I and I was just like, for a second I paused and I was like, oh my gosh, like they are point blank telling me that they are, there is, they are struggling. Like they have an issue with this. And this is not just, oh, someone else is starting in front of me or someone got the last orange slice. Like this is like foundationally, I don't know how to manage the stressors in my life. And I don't feel comfortable talking to the people who should be in charge of that. Cause I think so much of that comes back to the identity piece of, my coach thinks I should be able to handle this. So I should be able to handle this. Mm, yeah. I don't want to be a problem person. I don't want to let the team down. So you don't say anything to the point that maybe it does become a problem. Well, and you don't want your coach to know that you're hurt because then he won't play you. Exactly. Think, like this girl doesn't want to tell her coach when things hurt mm -hmm. so that he plays her, but he actually noticed mm -hmm. that she was hurt and took her off and right. made sure. And that, yeah, that like to have your coach, pull you out, mm -hmm. I think has got to be like a real awakening. It hurts, right? It yeah. hurts. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, something is wrong. 
but also I don't think, I don't think most coaches out there are like there to hurt these kids. Like oh, they, absolutely they do not. It because like, if you think about youth sport athletes, like if Elliot was a baseball coach, he would love those kids. Like that would be all that he cared about. So I think these kids are scared because they're like, they're seeking approval. They want more play time because they want to impress people. And I mean, there's, there's so many things to talk about there. Yeah. yeah why, why are we trying to impress? Players. But I think overall the benefits outweigh the risks. And I think playing sports teaches so many valuable lessons. It's so much better than just sitting in a dark room and watching TikToks all day. Right. Like there's so many benefits to it. And I fully agree that all these coaches are trying to help mm -hmm. the majority. That is the intention. Um, and I think it kind of comes back to the same thing of like a group CrossFit class. Each coach like has the best intentions, but they do not have the one-on-one -on -one time with each person. And there's disadvantages and there's benefits to that. So I think that's probably why we uniquely as PTs have an important role here. Cause we get that one-on-one -on -one time mm -hmm. to really yeah. talk about all of this. I, I think for a lot of these people, they need what you just talked about. They need the skills to learn how to deal with that stress, right? So like we can go to a CrossFit workout and most of the time we can be like, oh, this is too much for us. I need to slow it down, right? Or like, I probably shouldn't do this again today. Or And when these youth athletes are going into these scenarios where club teams are competing for the best players and coaches are competing for the best players and adults are putting a lot of pressure on them and they're, you know, uh, you know, other players are putting a lot of pressure on them. I think they don't know how to deal with that stress, right? And they're not able to talk about it or they don't have the skills necessary to like, you know, figure that out because you're right. Like, I put like my children in sports because I think it's super important to be part of a team. It's super important to have that little dose of stress, but they can grow from it. Mm -hmm. But you can't put so much stress on them, like the same stress level that professionals go through, they're going to break down. They're still youth athletes. So like, there's got to be these checks and balances. And I feel like that's really tough uh, for clubs to figure out, or even just for us um, as a society, figure out for youth athletes. We're just putting, I think, this professional level stress on our kids when it is supposed to be mostly fun like it can be serious but like when I played sports as a kid it was mostly fun I mean we went to tournaments and sometimes we got really serious but most of the time we were just having a lot of fun and I feel like a lot of times it's that's been taken out of it like yeah the reason that you started it is taken out of it and that just made me think like save the children man <laughs> we're all just doing it for the kids and yeah. yeah that is the thing like we are doing this for the kids development so the kid is a better person when he's 30 he might not be a pro baseball player, but what has baseball taught him? Like Elliot would never say that baseball was pointless. And, but I mean, he played in college, but he didn't go pro. But like the things that baseball gave him, however, he spent all of his time on baseball, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I was never a big sports person, mostly because I got sick and had to quit and had to pivot and started working out. And that's how I found CrossFit. So thank God for that. But I don't even know where I was going with that. Yeah. They... I think people just get into it for the right reasons and they end up having a lot of problems because they are so identity focused. I am a soccer player. I only play soccer. I must play soccer to get better. And like I, I told this girl, I was like, you have a soccer coach. You have this soccer coach. You have that soccer coach. Let me be your performance coach. Like you can't tell a 13 year old girl like what she's doing you got to be ginger, you know? And so I tried to phrase it as here's how I'm going to help you get better at soccer. But like the first thing we did is we put in a rest day, but 
I've never, I mean, she was like the most motivated soccer player I've ever seen. So good for her. I think every kid is different. Yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's, that's the truth is every kid's different. And I, it's such a dynamic, like multi-layered, everything is. And I oh, think that is yeah. the most complicated part of our jobs, right, is, is navigating those layers. But, you know, even to the coach's point, like I think coaches do get in it because they love kids and they love their own kids typically and they want to coach and they want to, they have skill set that they can pass on. But then also we are competitive by nature. We want to win. We want mm -hmm. to put the best players on the field so that we have the best shot of winning. We feel like uh, justified or congratulated or whatever when we can send one of those kids on to the next level. Mm -hmm. You know, if I've got a club team and now that kid gets picked up on varsity or that kid gets picked up to go to college, like all of a sudden I'm now respected within my field. And, and that's not a bad thing. But unfortunately, each one of those kids is trying to be that one mm. at all costs, right? And that's, you know, like inherent, like they, they just are going to give up everything to be that one kid that gets passed on to the next level. And, and they don't. And even the, the coach doesn't realize it. The parents don't realize that there might be an alternative way, number one. There might be a detriment to that way of thinking, number two. Like mm. it can be very difficult. Um, I was a multi-sport athlete. Rachel, were you? Um, I think in middle school, yeah. And then I think I really just did soccer and cross country, which is multi. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. just two different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's multi-sport. You were multi-sport. <laughs> did you lift weights? Um, some on my own time, yeah. 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 Did you? I didn't. Um, I played almost every sport you could, but I didn't lift weights. And I think that's okay to a certain extent. Um, you know, lifting weights is important, but I think because I had so much variation, mm -hmm. it probably was a good thing. But looking back, I think I would have been even better as an athlete had I been lifting weights. I consider myself a good athlete, but if I were to look back at my level and my ability, I felt like I was always on the outside looking in, right? Like, Yes, maybe I was good enough to make the team, but there was always kids, like five kids that were better than me at that sport. And like, mm -hmm. maybe if I would have spent more time in a weight room or more time like doing something like that, it would have given me the edge. There's also a chance that it's just genetics and those five were always going to be better than me no matter what. Yeah, you, know? you might have had Tia Claire Toomey on your team. Right, like exactly. there's always people better than you. There's always people worse than you. To your point earlier, like as much as the coach wants to win and how that feels good, the kid like it feels so good as a kid to win and to be praised mm -hmm. for that at, and at some point that's all that they seek right and then it's like do you have anything you're praised for other than winning or other than being good at yeah. something like let's talk about where your self-worth comes from yeah that's a hard conversation to have which i mean i don't want to be in this trophy society that everybody like talks about right where we where we just acknowledge every individual like i don't want to get into that discussion because that's a whole different one but i do think that hard work and consistency should be rewarded every bit as much as the outcome of that hard work and consistency right yeah. like you show up every day or you go to the gym when you're not here you know like if that consistency is there if you're following the planning you're putting in the work you should absolutely be recognized and i think that's true of a lot of things not just sports right whether we're talking about work or business or you know relationships like it's the effort and the consistency in which you do it that should be the most recognizable part but do you need that recognized externally by winning 
or can you recognize it within yourself? Like, is the goal to win games? Like, I do not, if I have kids, like, I don't give a shit if they win a game. <laughs> and, like, if you think about your high school, there are definitely a lot of high schools around here that are fueled um, financially by, like, winning yeah, games. Absolutely. But I'm like, why does this matter in the yeah. grand scheme of things if little Sammy wins his tournament or not? Yeah. If Unless that's the only way he feels like he's succeeding. I mean, sometimes – I mean, failure is important too. But is that the only thing that rewards their hard work? Because I agree. I think the hard work and the consistency, we talk about that all the time. Like That is what matters. But do you only keep doing that if you keep winning? Yeah. It's a, It's – um, real quick, uh, I think it's so important. The theme is what's the goal? What's the intention? What's the vision that's like guiding these decisions, right? So if the goal and the intention is to win as much as possible, that's a different way of being as opposed to the goal is to create really strong individual youth athletes. If that's the goal, if that really was the goal of every club soccer team and high school and coach, I think we'd be good, but it's not, right? So Right. It, it slowly creeps into and the mate usually starts that way, but it slowly creeps into, oh, man, winning, winning feels good. Oh, I've got more money. I've got more resources. Now, the more I win, the more resources I get. Right. So it's like it's that constant challenge. It's the same thing with us in the medical system. Right. Like we've chosen this different path because we have, you know, we want to kind of break the system and we want one vision, you know, to create like healthy humans that to be our, our vision. And that's the, that what leads us forward. And like ultimately it's being really, really intentional about that vision and then communicating effectively, right? Like that's communicating that vision effectively, which probably doesn't happen a lot of the time. You know, it just doesn't get communicated down the down the chain. Yeah, I guess kind of devil's advocate to that point is, but when someone does it right, it's so powerful. I think being a coach to youth athletes, it can you can be such a pivotal influence in these kids' lives. I know, like I had a great... Um, high school soccer coach and that was just that was a super important time for me because I ended up getting hurt not being able to play like this whole thing and it ended up like my senior year I really didn't play that much because I was a keeper and like the person who was younger had gotten to play my whole junior year so it just like as a team it was better for her to play and then like we got to the point where like we were pretty much like I'm gonna say even but she, she may have been a little better. Uh, she's probably better. But it, I made a lot of improvement. Anyway, so to me, that was the biggest win of I feel like I got back. And, like, yeah, sure, I would have loved to have played more. But at the end of the season, my coach, like, gave an award. And she, like, said in front of the whole team and all the parents and everybody, she was like, I'm just so proud of Rachel for having, like, such a good attitude and working so hard, even though she really didn't get to play very much. And, like, yeah, that people would come up as a diss, but it really wasn't. And that, to me, meant more than anything else because it, it was that hard work, that consistent effort, which, like, I know I met my goal of if they needed me to play, like, I was back. I was ready. And, like, yeah, sure, I would have loved to have the opportunity to play more. But as a team, like, having a sophomore who's going to have more years to rise, it just – that was the decision that was made. And she probably was better than me. I'll give her that. Um but like I just felt so acknowledged with that award because it wasn't who is MVP or like what games did we win. It was who had a good attitude and always showed up and worked hard and was dependable, even though maybe they didn't get on paper what would have been somebody else's view of success. 
So I think having coaches who see that and know their players well enough to recognize the people who are showing up consistently are putting hard work in to me, I think like that meant like, I'll remember that forever to me knowing that like, if you consistently do the right thing and show up, like people will notice because those values matter to you. Exactly. Like the recognition mattered because you were recognized for things that mattered to you and yes. the things that matter to you are hard work and consistency and having a good attitude, being a good teammate, dependable. I think I could say all those same things today about you. And apparently they mattered to you when you were 18. Mm -hmm. So if that is what you're being recognized for, like amazing, no one doesn't like recognition. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What gets praised gets replicated. That's just mm -hmm. a fact. So Gosh. if you're only praised, Hey, you did good so that we won the game. Yeah. And that's the only thing, like it just goes down this dark hole of you're only praised for winning. So what happens if you don't win? Yeah. Right. So I think that finding things to praise athletes about that are, more inherent to their character than their performance can build a really strong human, like, which I think is cool. Like Eve said, like we do this because we're trying to put intentional stress on these kids. Like we're not saying that we should go easy on these kids. We're no. saying that the approach should be different. If no. the approach was we're trying to build the best person possible, like I think the coaching and the, the tournaments and the schedule, like I think everything would be different. But you're still trying to – place a little bit of stress on these kids, make them do something challenging so that they end up better overall because you care about them ultimately. Yeah. Um, it's just like, it's just, it's always the management and the dosage of that stress. And like, <laughs> right. Yeah. When you said it's, Oh, I like money. I like winning. So I need more of it. I mean, that's our society as a whole. Yeah. I was it's just going to dive in and say that too. I was thinking about it. Like you could say, like we're talking about youth athletes, but you could do the same thing for like the youth scholarship uh, or uh, academic scholarship kids, yeah. right? These kids that are, you know, the only praised at A's, right? All A's, you have to have mm -hmm. a 4.12 mm -hmm. average in order to, to, to come home and, and parents aren't accepting of less than that. But again, what was the work that went into that, right? Like some kids are not going to get straight A's, period. Not going to happen. But did they put in consistent effort? Did they try? Are we rewarding them for the effort that they put in? And and ultimately, I think at the end of the day, if we look across the board on again, like successful people, like whatever we deem success is, but after school is over and the real world begins, most likely it isn't always the 4.0 student that is at the top of the field, right? It's the the C student that grinded every night to get to that C, and like then just can continued to grind like that as they went forward because they saw the recognition and the hard work, not in the end result, I guess. Yeah. When you look at parenting 101, it's always praise the effort, not the outcome. Like, you know, I read a lot of – Yeah, is that a book, Eve? Did you just – Probably. Uh, I, yeah, it could have just been me. I don't know. But I mean, um, there's a lot, like I read a lot of books before I had kids. Cause I was like, all right, I want to be, I want to be decent at this. Right. And so, um, that was one of the main themes that I remember is just like, you can't praise your children, you know, Oh, you're just naturally really smart. It's like, no, like you need to be able to foster them working hard and realize when I work hard, I can get a good, you know, I can get a good result, and I'm not necessarily guaranteed it. You know, you, um, if you guys haven't watched it yet, and whoever's listening, if you haven't watched it yet, um, I think it's called uh, Project Varsity Blues on Netflix. It's literally what you just talked about, Dane, which is academic, that pressure, 
and people trying to get into Harvard and things like that and those people leading up to it and how some people game the system. It's a super interesting and it's so analogous to what's happening in the conversation we're having about sports. You're right. It's almost like the exact same thing. It's, you know, mental, you know, um, excellence versus, you know, athletic excellence, yeah. you know, we're the same pressures on our kids. And, and it's so cool that we're focusing on just creating just healthy individuals, like healthy human beings, right? Like, healthy humans. Like that's what we're trying to do here. And it's like, what's the best path forward in order to do that? And it's not, you know, it's not praising winning, you know, it's praising effort for sure. I kind of want to maybe go down that route is like, what, like, so what is kind of the answer? Like what, what is a healthy human? Yeah. Well, I mean, in regard to the, to the first topic of the youth sports and like early childhood specialization, like what, what would kind of be the appropriate stance? Because we're not saying that kids aren't going to play soccer nine months out of the year. That is still going to happen. But is there an approach that maybe is best? Is there an approach that from our position would be a better approach? Um, Because I think there is. Well, let's define like first, what is early sports specialization? So fortunately, because we've been talking about these things, um, Prime Performance Rehab wrote a nice article on it. I will include it in the show notes, whatever. Intense year-round training in a single sport with the exclusion of other sports. Um, And so that's what we're talking about here is when a kid only plays soccer, they play it almost every day, and they don't do anything else. And so like the negative effects, burnout, higher injury, um, they're not as exposed to a lot of different movement patterns and like variables and stressors. And so they're not as prepared. Like that is kind of what we're saying is you could be better at a sport if you not necessarily you're even more well-rounded, probably, um, but that you're more prepared for anything, any demands that are placed on you. Um, And so we are saying, I wonder, I wonder, is there a certain amount, like, can you play a lot of sports until what did you say? Like sophomore year. And and then are we okay with you specializing? Like, is there a time where we think it's okay? Right. Yeah. I wanted to just highlight too. I think it's true of the academics and even like we're esports is a thing now. Right. And, and if there's any indication into the, to the, to the necessity of strength training and like off season sports, it's, it's to highlight the fact that now there's a whole industry created around uh, these esport athletes Getting into strength what training. Esports. Esports. I mean, you can get a scholarship today for I don't even know, playing World of Warcraft or whatever. Like what? Yeah, you can go. <laughs> That's what now. I should have done. I love. I don't that. know the sport. I don't know the you actual games because I'm not. Well, so because they've recognized, and we all know this, and this is another. There's rehab for it now too. Like there's people specializing in rehab for yeah. those people. So you can imagine if you play eight hours a day of a game. Oh, yeah. That's the only way you're going to be able to compete. But what is going to actually take you to the next level? If you've got two people side by side playing the same game for eight hours, you've got genetics on one hand, but you've got also the rigors. NASCAR drivers drive Mm -hmm. around in that circle for X amount of time frame. They have to be able to withstand Mm -hmm. attention and stress and all that. Same is true of a video game person. They need to be able to withstand the stress of sitting there and playing. Same with well, a same, soccer same sport, principle. right? I know, like, just that is different. Different. The thing. Yeah. A video game person is really what got me. Yeah. <laughs> it's game, it's gamer. Gamer, yeah, gamer. yeah, that's right. Was, um, oh, Dane, Montana Dane. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't have them funky video games growing up. What do these kids need to be doing instead, or what would be a step in the right direction? I think the first thing. I don't know if y'all heard of it. It's called strength training. 
Yeah. Um, and that is what I think you can, you talked about last night on the webinar. So um, I'm sure you can talk yeah, about it. Yeah. So I love the paint the room analogy, right? So if you only are, if you're only ever playing your sport, you really may not have that much wiggle room. And I think that strength training is essentially paying your dues, broadening your capacity, investing in all these different movement patterns, different ways to produce and absorb force, all these things in a different way. And I think not only does that, we, we know that it improves performance and it reduces risk of injury. And I think probably the two other things, I was going to say one more, but I said two more. The two other things that I think it does is it creates an environment that you can do for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe I'll play pickup soccer here and there, but most adults, if you did a poll of adults who are active, they have some time that they either go to the gym or work out. They probably, the majority are not playing a team sport or playing a sport. I mean, I guess you call CrossFit, whatever, but most people are probably putting in the category of going to the gym or exercising in a more planned fashion. So I think introducing the, this weight training to kids gets them more comfortable in a setting that perhaps they can invest in their health in for a much longer duration. I know I lift weights way more frequently now than I play soccer. And that's something that I can, I know how to modify the intensity. I know a lot of factors. So that's something that I can do. Even if I don't sleep well, I can say, all right, well, I'm going to just go a little lighter or something like that versus I'm always competing. Right. So I think that's, an area that it gives them just a lot of openings for the rest of their life. And also it just builds confidence in those positions, confidence in those environments. So I know a lot of women really all ages, if they've never lifted weights, majority of them are scared or intimidated to go start lifting weights. Like I've worked with different um, middle-aged or even a little bit towards the older end of the spectrum, female athletes who are so afraid to go to a gym that they they would never go on their own. So that's been a, like a, a path that we've taken things. Okay. Like yesterday, this woman was like, I was just realizing that the pain, like the initial reason I came here is completely gone. Like I haven't even thought about it, but now I have you. And she was so happy. And I was like, wow, like that's what I want for people. Like where else are these people going to feel comfortable trying this if they've never been exposed at the time that it was maybe more socially acceptable to not know it. Mm, it's like, if I got if I got to this point and didn't know how to read, I'd be, I mean, I can barely read, but no, I'd be pretty embarrassed mm -hmm. to say, Hey, can you take me to the library? I can't can find the book I need. Yeah. yeah. Like I would be very embarrassed. I would need someone that I trust find that versus something that I've been doing on field trips growing up, something like that. Like I've gotten exposure to when we're like learning all about our environments. I think that early exposure we know reduces risk of injury, improves sport performance, something you can do the rest of your life. And it just builds confidence in this environment. That's that like you can be in for a really long time. So I think there's, it absolutely makes sense on every level. And I think across the research, there's a very broad consensus. It should be happening. It's an issue of application, right? Who's going to do this? Who's going to, where are they going to get the money for this? What category does this fall under? How, what age, at what frequency, what exercises, what's the minimal effective dose? But like, that's where the research is. But I think so many parents are still at, is it even safe for my 13 year old to lift weights? Oof. There's such a disparity. We actually got that question. Yeah. I think we should absolutely like, just to like, <laughs> maybe this would be one of the show notes too or whatever, but there's like, 
really zero research at this point that would support any negative aspect of youth lifting weights. And, and really, we can say that there's always a chance for injury no matter what we're doing in any capacity because that's just the fact of life. There's always a chance that you can get injured. But there's no more risk for a 13-year-old lifting a barbell than there is for a 30-year-old lifting a barbell. There's no research to support any stunted growth. There's no research to support any bone damage. Like, it's just a fact nowadays that we know you can lift weights. The key there is safely progressed in a manner that is safe. You know, there's a lot of understanding that has to go into it. So you don't just give a kid 200 pounds and say, drag this around until you can't drag it anymore. Like there's definitely a style there, but figure it out for sure. you can absolutely start lifting weights at nine years old and be perfectly fine. Um, and I hope that you do. Yeah. What blows my mind is people think lifting weights is not safe, but tackle football is, Yeah. but having them, sprint at high speeds and cut is like you are having them do something that they're not prepared to do. And you think that is safe, but you think the preparation for that is not safe. And another thing that just got like a lot of marketing towards is lifting weight, sense your growth. You have to drink milk for strong bones and stretching is good for you. Like whatever marketing company did those things, I want them to work for us. Right. Like, yeah. At least let's like market the right things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, go ahead, Eve. I think it's changing narratives is one of the hardest things to do. Let's be honest. Right. Okay. So this narrative going all three of those and changing those takes decades like it's going to take decades to the point where people understand that you know we're not challenging our bodies in a way that's allowing us to be healthy human beings so we have to go to the weight room and do that it's the bot like there's like nobody could really probably dispute that but it's going to take 10 15 20 30 years before people truly understand that's just the bottom line we're still understanding that even ex exercise is a necessary part of our day because we're so sedentary yeah. you know that's yeah. just part of it. So interesting because I think there can be that, I know for me personally, like a breakdown between like, like say I'm sitting here debating, all right, what's the best way to load this squat for the optimal ability, blah, 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 blah. And that person's just thinking, is squatting even safe? Mm -hmm. And I'm so far past that conclusion that sometimes they'll ask a question and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm at Z and you're stuck at B. Mm -hmm. But I think the only way that I know is through those, like it's everything else that we do, it's, getting to know people, establishing that relationship, like getting them to trust you. They could Google things. They could look at research. But if they trust me and I tell them, hey, your knees should go over your toes. You need to be strong in that position. And they believe me and they do it. Like it almost has to be that ground level. Like that person yesterday who had that question, like they signed up. So it's like, okay, well then we got one. Yeah. What did they expect you to say? Like, it's safe. You're like, nah, nah. it's not. We're just going to risk it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to send it. What? And I think, you know, I want, I still want to go down the path of what should we be doing, yeah. which strength training is obviously first and foremost. They need to be doing that. But I, I want to also say like, to, to kind of lower the guard and, and lower the wall is I don't think that parents are, are the problem. I don't think coaches are the problem either because they're only doing what they understand. And just like you said, we are maybe the specialists that understand how the body should be reacting, how like, you know, all these things where if I'm just a football coach or a soccer coach, like, and that's my world, 
I'm going to do everything I can. And, and maybe I don't have the same knowledge. And maybe I did, maybe my coach and my dad or my mom told me, you know, about the lifting aspect. And, and so like, I have these ingrained things and it's not your fault and it's not, doesn't make you a bad coach. I think we just want to create that relationship where we can continue to have discussions around moving that forward and, and helping everybody understand on a deeper level. And, and so then to that point of the next piece, I would, I would not specialize until I was like a sophomore or a junior in high school. I think that I would work through those years amassing as many skills as I could playing as many sports and it doesn't have to be so varied, but like complementary sports. If I, if my sport requires speed, then maybe I go, I'd go play track. If my, if my sport like, you know, requires X, then, then I might have to look at what I'm adding to that. But think the more varied your skills are in the formative years, the more likely you are going to be able to apply strength in a higher performance position at junior senior level. And honestly, I think that's when it matters most. If we're talking scholarships and everything else beyond high school, we want you on your junior year to be in a position to show out, which means that's when we start maxing out our lifts. That's when we really start putting in, uh, you know, extra time in that one sport with a skill position coach, you know, year round. And, and we're trying to set the tone for that next 18 months to get a scholarship or whatever and, and to dominate the field of play. But up until that point, I think you should be as varied as you can be and be as strong as possible. So that means the more time you can spend in the weight room, the better doesn't have to be maxing out loads or anything like that. It's just being a better mover, moving as much as you can in, in varied ways. And, and the more of a whatever movement optimist you can be and the better you can be in those positions, when you become a senior, the more that's going to translate to performance and the more looks you're going to get. It's just mm -hmm. facts. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, that's another narrative that's out there. The Is it 10,000 hours? Isn't that yeah. like... Right. So the 10,000 hour rule, which has totally been debunked at this point, like I need to get my 10,000 hours to be really, really good at this. Right. And so, you know, we know that's not necessarily the case. Right. So like, I think there's like a limited amount of time. Like we know that there's a limited amount of time. The human body can go through physical stress day in, day out. So like use your time as wisely as possible. And it's probably a mix of all everything. It's got to be a little mix of weight training. It's got to be a mix of some different kinds of movement, not just one, right? And, and equal parts rest. And like, you know, the answer of everything and it drives people crazy and I'm okay with it is like, it probably depends. It depends on their situation, you know, like what kind of competitions out there. Like, cause I think a big part of people really excelling and I'm sure you guys noticed this too, is being around other people who are really good. You know what I mean? And you getting pushed by people who are actually really good. You know what I mean? So, and it's still being fun and you enjoying it. That's probably a big piece of it too. So, uh, yeah. The 10,000 hour rule was actually musicians, not any, like no sports. Right. Like what? Seriously. It's completely different. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kick a soccer ball for 10,000 hours and that means I'm going pro. That's just, yeah. you know, everybody. Uh, uh, I think it's also, it's, it, sports are a very valuable thing, especially when, I mean, what are kids going to do? Go home, they're either going to go get in drugs, they're going to go sit on the couch and contribute to childhood obesity or they're going to play sports. I mean, maybe there's a couple of other options there. Don't need to be so some arts, yeah. <laughs> arts there. But let's say they go play sports and now they have this, this coach and this team 
like 16 hours a week, maybe less, maybe more, where someone gets to make an impact on them. Mm -hmm. That is such a cool opportunity mm -hmm. to infiltrate this kid's brains with all of your beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to form this kid into a robot to, you want it to be. It's an army. Yeah. And I think the, the final piece to that too then is also looking at everything else. And, and Hannah, you always talk really well about this, but just what does your self-care look like as a youth athlete? And they, I know they're not thinking about it. I know that the parents probably don't understand 100% what's needed either. The coaches, again, don't understand 100% of what's needed, but we need to rest. We need to recover. We need to eat appropriately. I don't, we don't need to be on a diet. That's not the case. Oh, my God. We no. need to be eating the fuel that's needed in order to uphold the, the activities that we're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then we just, you know, Rachel, you had 13 year olds coming up to you talking about stress. So like managing that, because those are all going to play into a factor of performance injuries, how well we are when we are 18. Do we want to continue playing the sport? Like it's so deep. I think it's I think it's getting better and I think like as we have these conversations every time I talk to a parent like they know a little bit of what needs to be happening they know their kid needs to be strength training I think parents have really good gut instincts like they know when their kid needs to rest and I think being able to provide that opportunity like with what we're doing in Somerville with Rachel I think is so cool because yeah they're gonna learn how to clean they're gonna learn how to deadlift they're gonna learn all these things but also if I was 13 and Rachel was like my role model, that'd be so You'd be screwed. No. no, I think you can have a really great impact yeah, on these, I'm so these girls in so many different ways. And it yeah. makes me want to do more of that because I, I realized how beneficial. And I think it's something that we're all really passionate about too. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I just want to say I'm 38 and Rachel's still my role model. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> I think like, uh, I, I love what Rachel said and I wanted to say something, but we kind of went down so many paths today, but like, you remember like your coaches, right? Like I remember all, all, like most of my soccer coaches and learning from them. Like it's a big part of like, I think of who I am today is like what I learned, you know, in those team setting. And that's like super valuable. And again, that's what we're focusing on too. Like us as therapists, like we want to be coaches, the people we want to be somebody who's, who's memorable. And like, hopefully, you know, you leave our clinic, you know, knowing a little bit more about yourself, being a little bit more uh, self-efficacious. Is that how you say that? Right? A little more independent, you know, right? And like, oh man, we've won, you know? I'm like, oh man, like I always loved hearing, uh, you know, this was way back in the day when I was, you know, treating patients and be like, you're a voice in my head when I go home, like, oh, I need to do this thing. And I was like, that's awesome. That's what I want to hear, you know? <laughs> I always apologize when people say that. They're like, all I hear when I do this is Hannah saying, push your butt back. <laughs> oh, that's what I went to school for. <laughs> hilarious. Well, I, um, I think we should quit. Huh? I feel like I can summarize like the four points that we just did, but if Please you can. Do. Okay. I think for youth athletes, number one is like, we got to keep it fun for them. I think that if you do that, you've probably gone and went the extra mile. Two is educating yourself, right? Like we're giving you some information. You can go real deep down the rabbit hole if you want to. This is really just the tip of the iceberg is just to, to educate yourself. Three, ask for help when you need it, right? Like talk to your coaches, talk to your kids, talk to health professionals. Like there's information um, out there. And like the fourth one is like keep the focus on like what's best for your kid long term. And that's sometimes the hardest part, right? Like we look at our own health, like I really want to eat 
all these cookies, but it's probably not the best idea for my long-term health, right? So like same thing, the whole cookie cake. Look at what's best long-term, right? Like, you know, what is going to help my kid, you know, be super happy for the rest of their lives. And I feel like we don't put a lot of decisions through that lens in all areas of our lives. So so there you go. I think, uh, we'll put some resources in the show notes too, because I think we definitely referenced some articles today. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome guys. Thanks for coming today. Everyone. Thanks for listening. So fun. See you. Okay. Later y'all. Bye. Bye. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram, find us at Healthy Charleston, leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.